the ability to create relationships that are functional is, is, is what separates those that actually succeed from those who don't in every regard, regardless of how we define success. If you've listened to previous episodes of Working Title, you would probably guess that this episode would be me unpacking another fixation with another person who I'd have reason to believe is a lot more knowledgeable about the subject matter at hand than I am. And you'd be right. (laughs) If you guys listened to the first part of this two-part episode called My Drug of Choice, which if you haven't already I would encourage you to do so. You would recall the concept that Sean Brannigan talked about called Dunbar's number. This is the 150 to 200-ish closest bonds that anyone has. So think your best friends, your partner, ranging to coworkers and distant family members. When I think about the people in my own Dunbar circle, and by the way, this is a really good exercise to just write out those people and I actually have journal prompts for the last episode and this episode up on my Instagram there'll be a highlight so you can check those out and kind of work alongside these podcasts and these conversations which has been really beneficial for me so anyways when I think about my Dunbar circle I feel as though I show up differently to every single person depending on the version of myself that I would assume is most beneficial for that relationship. All of those versions of me still feel like me, but I'm still deciding what I want to disclose and how vulnerable I want to be with certain people. I guess different can sometimes be good, but sometimes it can feel a bit isolating. So by the end of that episode, I landed on this question. How can we turn our close relationships into exceptional relationships without changing who we are for their benefit? When I talked to Sean about this concept, he actually pointed me towards a book that a friend of his had written. The book was called Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues. And it's co-written by David Bradford and Carol Robin, both former professors at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. It did not take long for me to finish the book and somehow convinced Sean to connect me to the co-author of the book, Carol, that he was friends with, so that I could sit her down and ask her all of my questions. It's really such an honor. I have your book all... Dr. Carol Robin has been helping students, professionals, and everyone in between build exceptional relationships for over 35 years. Carol taught a course for decades at the Stanford Graduate School of Business called Interpersonal Dynamics. Just a fun fact I love about this class is that all of her students would call it touchy-feely, and she earned the nickname Queen of Touchy-feely. I just love that. The course Interpersonal Dynamics went on to become the school's most popular elective course, and in conjunction with other courses, earned her the MBA Distinguished Teaching Award. She and David Bradford were inspired to translate their Interpersonal Dynamics course into a book in order to reach larger audiences and dive into the many ways in which we can build exceptional relationships. 
Since leaving Stanford, she's also co-founded Leaders in Tech, a nonprofit dedicated to teaching CEOs and founders how to hone their interpersonal skills, mental models, and learning styles. Something that I've learned is that passionate professors always always have an interesting insight or argument as to why their classes exist. I am wondering what, to you, the real core of that course is. What is like the fundamental reason that this course exists? Great question. I'm so glad you asked it. The premise of the course is that the ability to build robust functional relationships is a determinant of both professional and personal success which is why it's taught at the business school. People do business with people. And until you learn how to get the people part right, all of the knowledge you might have about accounting and finance and marketing and strategy will only get you so far. (laughs) What is the core thing that they learn is that they learn how to learn. You know, you learn to be more interpersonally effective by actually engaging with other people and discovering that the way you normally show up works for some people and doesn't work for others. Building conditions and enough trust and safety for people to say, you know, when you do that, that kind of bugs me. Well, what a wonderful uh, thing to learn how to do to, to create conditions like that with, with, your, with everybody in your life, your friends, your family, your certainly your colleagues at work. So it's really important to understand that that we have an opportunity to always be learning about ourselves and others, and that every interaction with another human being is an opportunity to learn. I used to think the course should have been called Connect Across Differences, not Interpersonal Dynamics, because it's really easy to connect with people that are just like you. And on the other hand, uh, it's both more challenging and often more rewarding to learn how to connect with people that are different than you, that hold different views, that, that have different backgrounds. And by the way, in business, you don't always have the luxury of only working with people that think exactly the same way you do. And what a travesty that instead of creating a world where we're encouraging people to connect more across differences, we are creating a world where people are encouraged to stick more with their own kind and vilify anybody who thinks differently. I mean, nothing scares me more for my, you know, for this country than that. That's the reason we wrote the book and and it's our legacy. And we honestly believe that if more people were equipped with these competencies and these skills, we'd have a really different world. We, We see what it does to the culture at the Stanford Business School to have that many students learn this. And I can only imagine what what that would do in terms of shifting so much of the discourse in so many places. We'd have better schools and better communities and better teams and organizations and healthier, I mean, maybe even a more functional government, who knows? Sometimes I dream really big. When I asked Carol why 
exceptional relationships are so hard to achieve. She got to the core of the book, which is essentially a set of functions that leads to these relationships. Well, let's go back to the fundamental principles of an exceptional relationship. And before I do that, I, I want to just underscore that relationships exist on a continuum. Mm. At one end of the continuum is contact and no connection. That's a lot of your social media friends, quote unquote friends. At the other end of the continuum is what we call exceptional. And there are a lot of relationships along the way, you know, as you move along the continuum, robust, functional, and satisfying is, is, can, can still be without ever getting to exceptional. So I just want to make sure that we don't peg on exceptional and think we suddenly need 200 exceptional relationships in our lives. But what characterizes relationships that have moved along the continuum are these six hallmarks that, you know, that are in the book. Now, how to achieve that and how to create that varies from person to person. But the six hallmarks are, first of all, you can both be more fully yourselves. You know, you don't have a need to spin your image so much. That's another problem with social media. It invites a lot of spinning of image. Uh, so you don't really get to know each other. The second hallmark is that you're willing to be vulnerable. Um, the third hallmark is that you are, uh, that you trust that disclosures won't be used against you. Um, and of course that's, you know, the more, I, the more I trust you, the more vulnerable I'm willing to be with you. But until I trust you some, I don't know whether or not I can be. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg. You know, the fourth is that you're that you can be honest with each other. I don't have to read between the lines and try to guess what's going on for you. And that when you tell me something, I, I believe that you're telling me that in service of our relationship. The fifth is that you deal with conflict productively, because, by the way, trying to have a relationship with no conflict is a completely unrealistic, you know, wish. So actually, see, learn to see conflict as an opportunity for deepen your deepening your relationship. And then the sixth is committed to each other's learning and growth. Those six characteristics uh, exist as you, as you move along the continuum to a greater and greater extent and depth. But how they manifest, how you get there will vary, very, will vary a lot depending on who you're creating the or co-creating the relationship with. Something that I've been trying to figure out is I feel like in many of my very strong relationships. So maybe it's my partner or my mom or my cousin, I'm showing up as very different people to all these different relationships. And they, they don't feel edited to me. They feel like they're fully me, but it feels like a different version of me that I'm giving to Mm -hmm. everyone. Is it possible to build multiple of these exceptional relationships with different parts of who you are? Let's go back to, um, there are many reasons the class is so life-changing, but one of the reasons is the big shift for them happens when they think, oh, this is a part of me I really shouldn't show you because you're not going to like me as much, or you're not going to find me as credible, or you're not going to think I'm leaderly, or, you know, they make up stories. So they keep that part of themselves hidden only to find out that when they take the risk of allowing that part of themselves to be shown, they are more liked, more influential. People feel more connected to them. They feel more connected to people. So it depends, you know, the answer to your question is it depends. What do you want? Do you want to feel known? There is something 
spectacularly magical about feeling really known and accepted for who you are, not for who you think you need to show up to be. You know, I'm considerably older than you are, but I used to have mental models that if I showed the really vulnerable part of me at work, people would not find me credible. Until, as you read in the book, 10 years after going to work as the only woman in a large industrial automation company that was not clerical, uh, you know, I was confronted by somebody who worked for me. Oh my gosh, you're human after all. The fact that I had, I left the feelings in the parking lot at the beginning might have helped me. But boy, after a while, it started hurting me. So I do think that it's important to update our mental models, our beliefs about how we need to show up in order to be effective, whether it's personally or professionally. And regrettably, uh, mental models get set very early in our careers, and then we don't update them. And the only way to do that is to get new data. And I think something really interesting in the book that you said is feedback is data. And I loved reading that and to be able to look at feedback and say, okay, maybe even though this is negative feedback from somebody, I can take that to improve myself and understand everything around me. And by the way, I never use the term negative feedback Mm -hmm. because all feedback is positive because all feedback is data. Right. I do use the terms constructive feedback and complimentary. And that's not just to, you know, to, to be weird. It's because language creates reality. So if you're giving me feedback that has maybe some negative feelings attached to it, the feelings might be negative, but the feedback is always positive. And if you're giving me feedback on something I could do better, wow, why would I not want to hear it? If you're giving me feedback on something that could make our relationship stronger, why would I not want to hear it? Uh, and on the, and vice versa, if I've got something for you that I think could make our relationship stronger, why would I withhold it? Right. Well, we know why, because we have all kinds of, again, mental models, beliefs. Oh my gosh, if I tell you that, you're going to think I'm a creep or I'm a jerk or, you know, I don't, it, it's actually, I'm telling you that because I care. You know, we have a, we do a spin on the old Hallmark card. You're probably too young to even know about it, but way in the olden days, Hallmark ran a whole advertising uh, campaign that was that, that was when you care enough to send the very best. We say when you care enough to say the very worst. What you're saying right now kind of reminds me of this concept of the three realities that you talked yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the core models and tenets of the course. So the, the concept is that in any interaction between two people, there are actually three realities. So right now, I know what's happening for me and what my intent is in whatever I do and say. That's reality number one. Reality number two is what I actually say and do. That reality is known to both of us. It's the only reality that's known to both of us. Reality number three is the impact of what I say and do on you, which is the reality you know. So you know the impact of my behavior on you and what I did, I know the intent and what I did. So we each only have two thirds of the reality. And one of the reasons uh, feedback goes so awry is that we, we draw this metaphorical net between reality number one and reality number two. And when you give me feedback, if you stay on 
your side of the net, meaning what I did and its impact on you, it's likely to cause less defensiveness and go better than when you go over the net and think you know why I did what I did. So if I've interrupted you three times, you can say, you know, that's the third time you've interrupted me. I'm feeling more and more irritated. And as a result, I'm less and less inclined to actually offer up what I have to say. That's all on your two realities, my behavior and its impact. But when you say, you know, when you interrupt all the time, I feel that you're just trying to dominate. First of all, you don't know whether I'm trying to dominate or not. You're making up a story. I feel that you're trying to dominate does not have a single feeling word in it. It's an attribution and it's just going to make me defensive. So if you think you're giving me feedback, it's not likely to be very effective. Right. Um, so the, the importance of these three realities is, first of all, it really makes you stop and think about what is it, what do I know and what don't I know, which gives you an opportunity to get curious. Hey, Carol, that's the third time you've interrupted me. I'm finding myself feeling more and more irritated. What's going on, right? That's all on your side of the net plus curiosity. And then you can add intent. And I'm telling you this because I really hope that we can have a more productive, fruitful exchange rather than just back away. That's all on your side of the net. But the minute you start trying to tell me what my intent was, you're just trying to dominate. You don't care about what I think. Uh, you don't value me. You're, you're in my reality. You don't know that at all. And I think on that relationship scale, so much of that net concept relates to this quote that I've been thinking a lot about recently, which is life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Having those realities, maybe that's the 10% and the 90% of that as you're building these relationships and building trust and self-disclosure is how am I going to react to this? How am I going to learn from it and move forward with this person? Now there are a few, a few tools one of the really, really important tools, and one of the reasons the students call it, call it touchy-feely, emphasis on the feely, not the touchy, is that feelings and the use of feelings is a really important core component in building stronger, more robust relationships. You know, if we only communicate from my above the neck to your above the neck, we're, we're, only, half, we're only half connecting. Mm-hmm. If we really want to connect, we have to connect heart to heart as much as head to head. Right. So you were mentioning social media at the beginning. Yes. Is it possible to build relationships online? It is absolutely possible to do this online. And I've seen it happen and I can give you some examples. And you have to double down on all the stuff we talk about because it is, in fact, it takes more effort. It takes effort anyway, but it takes even more effort if you're going to be online. Whereas when you're in person, you know, go back to your college days, you ran into people all the time. You went for a walk, you had a meal together, you studied together. There were things that brought you just naturally together in person. And that made it easier to do some of the things that we talk about that build relationship. So yes, it's possible and it's harder. You know, in my leaders in tech program that I that I co-founded, I've had a number of CEO founders who have taken some of these principles 
especially once they went totally virtual and really uh, intentionally brought practices in that they might not have needed when they were in person, but they need when they're online. For example, a CEO starts his biweekly meeting with his staff by having each person spend 90 seconds completing the, the prompt, if you really knew me right now, you would know. And then you've got 90 seconds to answer it. They each have 90 seconds to answer it. And after each person says what, you know, whatever they say, and then the idea would be that if I was willing to do that with you, you might be willing to do that with me because vulnerability and disclosure tend to be reciprocal. Well, these folks have been doing this now for a year and a half. And every time they do that, boy, they get deeper and deeper. Yeah. And they have more and more trust and they've never functioned better as a team. And what would you say to people who feel like they have social anxiety or building these relationships gives them a lot of fear? Yeah. Well, first of all, what I'm talking about, I don't want to imply that there's no risk. There is risk, but no risk, no reward. This is how we learn. This is basic education theory, by the way. You have to step outside your comfort zone to learn something. But students used to say to me, but Carol, the minute I step outside my comfort zone with a disclosure or a piece of feedback, how do I know I'm not in the danger zone? So we came up with this thing called the 15% rule. Try stepping a little bit outside your comfort zone. So, you know, I'll say something 15%, I'll feel it in my body, but it's small enough that it's unlikely to be catastrophic. It's unlikely to just freak me out or you out and then see what happens. And then what happens is if you have a good result, then your comfort zone grows by 15%, gets a little bigger. Then you get to go 15% beyond that. And that is how a relationship, you know, grows. Now, my 15% outside my comfort zone with you might be look different than my 15% outside my comfort zone with someone else. Um, and I may, and, and my expanded comfort zone with you uh, might look different than my expanded zone with someone else. But every interaction has the opportunity for learning and for deepening. I try to make my podcast as tangible for people and as actionable as possible. I think it's great to learn about different things, but if you walk away from it and you don't know how to implement it, then what's the point? So if somebody is listening right now and they might have three or four people in mind that they are really passionate or interested in building an exceptional relationship with. Yeah. What are the first steps that people can do today to to start building those relationships? Okay. So, well, obviously I'm going to say go buy the book, but, uh, but uh, you know, in the absence of going and buying the book uh, or maybe as a tickler, uh, as a, as an incentive for buying the book first, think about something that they don't know about you that you wish they did know about you and, you know, tell them and see what happens. Um, Think about something you'd like to know about them that you don't know and figure out how to ask them in a way that really shows how much you want to get to know them better. Third, uh, think about whether or not they do things that, you know, mildly irritate you or annoy you sometimes. We call those pinches. And, uh, And maybe say, you know, when, when I call you and you don't call me back for three days, 
I don't know what to make of that. And rather than make up a story, uh, I want to tell you that, that, you know, it makes me feel uncertain. That's where you got to pull out the vocabulary feelings. If you do nothing else, go find somebody who does have the book and copy the vocabulary feelings and start using feeling words in your communications. And by the way, tip, impossible to express a feeling. If you start with, I feel that, or I feel like, try it. I feel that sad. I feel like angry, impossible. I feel insert feeling word and it's a discipline. If somebody's doing something that's annoying, by the way, our tendency is to say, ah, it's not worth it. Substitute the pronoun it for I, you, or we. I'm not worth it. You're not worth it. We're not worth it. Then ask yourself again whether or not it's worth raising before it either turns into a crunch, a much bigger issue, it distances you, or it stops you from developing the relationship further. At the very least, you might want to let me know so that I can make a choice about whether or not I continue doing that. Another sort of tip heuristic here is when you do X, I feel, insert feeling word, Y. And I'm telling you this because. And if your intent is to build stronger, more meaningful relationships, then let people know that. What I really want is a stronger, deeper, and more meaningful relationship. And what we have already has me believe that we could have even more. And I'd really like that. Now, some people may not want to go there with you. And you might have to accept that. But just that's why we use the metaphor of climbing a climbing a mountain, which is uh, you can certainly get to the upper meadow, which is beautiful and which is not easy to get to anyway. And you maybe the other person doesn't want to climb to the top, but you could at least get to the upper meadow. Mm. And there you've, you've really got, you know, robust, strong relationship. Uh, and then with a few, you make the tough climb all the way to the top. I am so appreciative of your time. I'm very grateful of my experience with the book and getting to talk to you and and share this with. As my guests often do, Carol swiftly proved my theory wrong. Manipulating or crafting people's perceptions of us is the antithesis of building exceptional relationships. I left this conversation feeling energized and excited that we truly do have the freedom to decide who we develop these relationships with. As you consider who's worth the climb, remember the six hallmarks, which can be found in Carol Robin and David Bradford's book, Connect, which, by the way, will be linked in today's show notes. Number one, you can be more fully yourself and so can the other person. Number two, both of you are willing to be vulnerable. Number three, you trust that self-disclosures will not be used against you. Number four, you can be honest with each other. Number five, you deal with conflict productively. And number six, both of you are committed to each other's growth and development. I'll leave you with that and see you in the next episode.